Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. I'm so excited about what the Lord is doing. And I, and I have to tell you something. This Raising Samuel series uh, is the word of the Lord to us. Because he wants to activate us in the call of God. Let me say that one more time. He wants to activate us in the call of God. That's a good time to say amen. amen. We talked about that when times get dark, God activates his people. And he uses his people. And by the way, if you missed last Tuesday, Maria Durso preached such a powerful message. Was anybody here on Tuesday? That was powerful. Please go back and listen. And it was interesting because in a way she summarized raising Samuel. She talked about us needing the voice of God and, and, and answering the call of God. I mean, it was unbelievable. Please um, go online and, 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 and get that, that message because it was just amazing. You shouldn't miss the prayer meeting. Come to the prayer meeting because God will change your life in his presence. Now, we're continuing on this series. We're going to be in Samuel for a few more weeks. It's, I know that this has been a longer series, but it's a very important series. And what we're going to do is continue to finish up the life of Samuel. We're going to see how he actually lived the call and how he was used as God's instrument after responding to the call. See, when you respond to the call of God, when you respond to the whispers that call you away and they get you close, God calls you to himself first. Remember, we're part of the royal priesthood. That little boy learned to minister to God first. And then as he spoke to God, then he became a voice for God. That's Christianity 101. That is the Christian life. These disciples, unschooled fishermen, they spent three uh, uh, three years with Jesus, and then he released them. Time in private naturally unfolds into powerful demonstrations in public for the glory of Jesus. So our last message in the series was in chapter 4. It all centered around the ark of God. We saw what happened when God's people do not prioritize his presence. Today we're going to see what happens when his presence returns. Uh, um, I'm actually skipping a few chapters that all revolve around the presence because we can't do an exhaustive. But I want you to read, keep reading in 1 Samuel. Now we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 7 when the presence returns. And here's the interesting thing about this. Before you look at your Bible, look at me. I want you to, this is very, very important because already you can apply your own home, your own life and heart to this. The presence had been back for 20 years, okay? The ark of God came back, and it was 20 years. But even though the ark of God had been back for 20 years, it was back without expressing power and blessing towards the people. Wherever the ark was, there was blessing. Wherever the ark was, there was power and victory. But not in this case. 
For 20 years, they still lived as if the ark of God was not with them. And it could have been two days. It was all up to the people. When I was in Bible school, um, one of my teachers on the Old Testament, I'll never forget this. He said the best title, sermon title he ever heard was, uh, was as follows. One more night with the frogs. And that's a good title, One More Night with the Frogs. And the whole sermon was about when Moses goes to Pharaoh. Please listen to this, okay? We're in the message now. Everybody online, please listen to this. So he, he, Moses goes to Pharaoh, and, and the plague of the frogs had come. And Moses says, just so that you could see that this is really God, you choose, Pharaoh. You choose when you want the frogs to leave. And you know what Pharaoh said? He said, one more night, let them leave in the morning. Think about the foolishness of man, okay? Why not right now? Why not free me from those frogs right now? Why not set me free and bring your blessing right now? Anybody ready for the right now blessing of God online? Not one more night. Not one more minute in the bondage of the enemy. Not one more minute settling for the things that Satan wants for your life instead of the blessing that Jesus has for your life. Come down, stir it up today. So it could have been two days, one day, but it was 20 years. And here's why. It's because they didn't understand repentance. Everyone say repentance. This is what leads me to the title of our message The title of the message is The Called Understand Repentance. Today's message is a perfect setup for the communion table. As the children of God, he's called us and he's provided an opportunity for all of us, every single person here, to get a fresh cleansing of our heart and of our minds Uh, a renewal of our emotions because we've been washed afresh in the blood of God. The blood of Jesus never loses its power. The sacrifice of Christ was not for one time. Some Christians, and we're going to get into this today, some Christians believe that Jesus, when they get saved, Jesus forgot the sins of their past, but after that, Jesus doesn't forget them. How many are thankful Jesus keeps on washing and keeps on forgetting and keeps on forgiving? Amen? So he purchased our salvation, and he provided access for continual cleansing when we repent. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. It says, actually this doesn't have verse 1, but it starts at verse 3. It says, do we have verse 1 or no? Doesn't matter. Here we go. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and their asterisks and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah, 
and I will intercede with the Lord for you. Now let me, this is not the gist of the message, but I want to highlight something. Samuel has been off the scene, and now he comes back onto the scene. And as soon as he comes back onto the scene, he is encouraging the people to get right with God. Okay? That's what the called do. The called encourage people to get right with God. We're going to talk about that in just for a minute. But I want you to notice. So he says, assemble all Israel at, at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. So he says, it's time for a prayer meeting. Let's go. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day, they fasted, and there they, say this word with me, everyone. And there they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistine camp came up and attacked them. And when the Israelites heard it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. When you, you, you see that all of a sudden their faith is turning back to God and they're saying, God, you be our deliverer. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offerings, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem, and, he's, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory Throughout the, uh, Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered that neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Let me pray. This whole passage is a powerful lesson of what God wants to do when we repent. Everybody say repent. Repent is a good thing. Repentance is a blessing. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this time. And God, thank you for um, our, our special communion service today. Would you bless all of it? God, please bless every heart to receive deeply today whether it be online or at Cicero or in this room. May the power, may the purpose of communion be released. May the power, the true power, the depth, oh God, of communion be released in our midst. We don't want to just take communion. We want to experience, oh God, your intended purpose for communion. So bless your word. Bless our time together in the mighty name of Jesus. 
And all God's people said, amen and amen. So very, very quickly, God raises up Samuel. All of a sudden, he comes back on the scene. He starts to call people back to God. And the called help others get right with God. You know why you need to get right with God and be close to God and answer the call of God? It's because when you get right with God, then you, call, you can call others to get right with God. That's our purpose. We're supposed to help people. Jesus said in the last chapter of Matthew, go and make disciples. Christians who are answering the call of God lead other people to Christ. Christians who are, are um, uh, living out the call of God, they disciple other believers. That is the high calling of God. And this is very, very important in order to frame this conversation. We have to lead people to follow Jesus. Life is best when we're right with God. Your life is best. My life is best. Life is best when we're right with God. Somebody say amen. amen. So getting right with God stops us from falling into two traps. Okay? It helps us not to fall into two traps. There's an inspiration trap and there's a complacency trap. Here's the inspiration trap. The inspiration trap is that, that people come to church or they watch online, and you know what? They want to get a good message. And they say, why do you, they've asked people, why do you go to church? They say, because it makes me feel good. Okay? And that's good. But it's supposed to be more than just make us feel good. Somebody say amen to that. Come on, let's start with confessing that. It's supposed to do more than just make us feel good. Let me hear you from Cicero. It's more than that. Okay, we come to church because we want to honor Jesus with our lives. Some people think that if you were moved by a sermon, you've gotten everything that you've gotten from God. Not so. Inspiration should lead to transformation. That's why repentance is so important. Because you could be inspired but not changed. So this text is about change. This text shows us that you could even be in the presence of God for 20 years and not fully change. And no matter how old you are in God, I'm telling you right now, God wants to transform your heart and your life, beginning with the pastor. We go from strength to strength and from glory to glory. Don't fall for the inspiration trap. Don't say, well, I got, I got my, my 50 minutes in and that's it. Okay? I personally believe people who come late to church, uh oh, he's going there. People who skip the worship and just want the word, they want inspiration. Okay? Why do you skip the worship? Didn't you come to honor the Lord? Can I preach the truth today? Can I say it like it is? That's, that's American. It's not kingdom. We want to be kingdom amen. who happen to be Americans. How many would say amen? So that's the first thing. Be careful. The other trap that it delivers us from is the complacency trap. The complacency trap is that we are part of, we're on the train. We're on the, the Christian journey but we don't really change. There's, we're not rooted. We're not. Things can, truth, let me tell you something. 
I've learned this from great men and women of God. Okay, and I always pray, pray this. Pastor Rivera, who I, I did an internship at a church called Manhattan Grace Tabernacle. Manhattan, I said it just like a New Yorker. Manhattan, okay? So one of the things I learned when I was like, I wasn't even, we weren't married yet. I was probably 24 years old. I was at that church. And he told me, Al, the thing I pray for the most is that I'll never lose my burden for God and the people. So if I can't weep for you when I'm alone, and if I can't weep in the presence of God, something is wrong. Okay? I feel like I love people more. I feel like I feel things more. Forgive me for the personal reference. If you heard the pastors of this church pray for you, when we have staff meeting, you would know they love you. Okay? We don't, we don't come in here and uh, uh, we have our own service on Mondays. And we cry out to God because we love the Lord. Jesus said zeal for his house. The Bible says when they saw Jesus, zeal for his house consumed him. We should be zealous for the things of God. We, see, we should be zealous for the kingdom of God. God can baptize us with fire. How many would say amen? So beware of complacency when you're not really experiencing true repentance. You get complacent. You just settle. You become like a Christian tumbleweed. And it's just not God's will and it's not God's way. So what can we learn today about repentance? Number one, here's what we learn. We learn that when we turn, he returns. When we turn, he returns. And God always wants to return to us. Listen, I'm declaring to you, he always wants to be close to us. When we turn, repentance is about turning. When we turn, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what mess, you jumped in with both feet. Even if you took a whole bath in sin last night, okay, and put it on like cologne. I'm telling you right now, the minute you turn with a repentant heart, he returns. It was his heart, it was his way always to be close to his people. Somebody say amen. amen. He wants to be close. He wants to be near to his people. He wants, Jesus wants to be your best friend. Even when we mess up, he wants to be your, your best friend. It's his will. It's his way. And sometimes the people of God don't understand how close he really wants to be to us. What does repentance mean? Repentance means, simply stated, it's confessing and turning. Everybody say confessing and turning. It's confessing and turning from evil and turning towards good. So God says, says you know what, that's a really bad attitude to have towards, you know, people. And 
You say, you're right, God. I need my heart to be like your heart. So I turn, I confess it, and I turn from it. And, and when you turn, when you turn, he's right there. Watch this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Why is he just? It's because his son Jesus paid the price for our sin. Anybody happy about that today? He paid the price for our sin. When God says you're free and forgiven, he is just in saying that because of what Christ has done. Okay, so he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us. Everybody say purify. Purify Purify means that God makes us pure. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. Every drop of it. We have to make peace with the fact that God really wants to cleanse us and free us. Look at what, what we have to understand repentance. Look at what Warren Wiersbe said about repentance. He said, we must correctly distinguish regret, remorse, and true repentance. Regret is an activity of the mind whenever we remember what we've done. We ask ourselves, why did I do that? Remorse includes both the heart and the mind, and we feel disgust and pain, but we don't change our ways. It lacks the turn. Listen to this. But true repentance includes the mind, the heart, and the will. The will is where the turn comes. We change our minds about our sins and agree with God and agree with what God says about them. We abhor ourselves because of what we have done, and we deliberately turn from our sins and turn to the Lord for his mercy. That is true repentance. It's more than feelings. It's a full-blown turn. But let me just say this, okay? This is a, I would say, such a big deal. I would say that, that the universal conflict of the believer is to fully receive the forgiveness of God. In other words, as God's children, we will often struggle with the fullness of his sacrifice and forgiveness. This is the thing that I've seen, and I've read a lot of biographies. Great men of God struggle with this issue. Great women of God have struggled. People in ministry struggle with what I'm talking about. We struggle with the fullness of his sacrifice and forgiveness, and we underestimate his desire to put the past behind us. We're going to take communion today. We must understand God wants to put your past behind you. Fully, completely, totally, he wants to put the past behind you. Jesus shed his blood not so that you could have a little cleansing. He shed his blood so that you could be totally purified from the past. Hallelujah. Look at how God says it in Isaiah. In Isaiah, he says, come now, let us settle the matter. Imagine how strong this is. Somebody needs to receive this moment. 
One of the reasons that people don't answer the call of God is because secretly they don't feel good enough. Secretly they feel like a reject. Secretly they feel like a fake. But God says this to that. He says, let's settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. How many are thankful for the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ? When you give in to condemnation, you're literally giving in to the voice of the devil. When you let your future be um, literally dictated, determined, impacted by the past, you know what you're doing? You're giving the devil more voice than Jesus. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to say, no, I refuse to be condemned by what I did, whether it be two days ago or two years ago or 20 years ago. If it's under the blood, it's been washed away and we have been purified. Now, let me tell you what Christians do. And, um, you know, I'm not a a big hockey guy, but I, I think that this is a, a, a real, I think, strong example. In hockey, um, there's referees, and sometimes there's a penalty, and some penalties get you into something called the penalty box. Everybody say penalty box. Okay, so here's what a penalty box looks like. So this is one of the, um, the Chicago... Blackhawks, this is one of the Chicago Blackhawks superstars, okay? And there was a penalty, and so guess what happens when there's a penalty? You go into the penalty box. So everybody, let's keep that up for a second. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a penalty box Christianity? Okay? Because when Jesus washes your sin and says, I forgive you and you're free, the penalty is done. There's no penalty box in Christianity. There's repentance and forgiveness and cleansing, but there's no time out. There's no I'm setting you aside. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. If your sins are scarlet, they can be made white as snow. How long are you going to live like there's a penalty box? How long are you going to stand condemned by something that you did in the past when Jesus paid the price for it? How long are you going to listen to the voice of the devil that says you're not good enough when you are good enough? You're good enough because Jesus is good enough. Hallelujah. How long will you stand on the sidelines when God wants to use you? He wants to use us. And too many Christians live in the shame of the past. There is no penalty box. Peter called curses and denied Christ. In his greatest moment of need, Peter denied him. He used four-letter words and profanity. Peter, okay? You couldn't get uglier. You couldn't get a worse betrayal of Christ than Peter on that night. And Jesus dies and he rises from the dead. And when he rises from the dead, he said, go tell Peter I'm coming. 
And then when the church is born, when the Spirit of God is poured out, who is the first man used 50 days later after he rises from the dead? Peter is the man who gets the call. Preach the gospel, Peter. Share the gospel with the people. Stop living in the penalty box. Stop living in the lie under the lie of the devil. The, the gospel is so powerful because whom the Son says free, hallelujah is free indeed. See, I know this like, like, like uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, if you could send me a musician. The great reformer. He battled, he battled with failing God. Do you know we all fail God in many ways? You know, if you think I haven't had the devil say to me, you know, look at you, you know? He's done it a million times. He does it to everyone. He whispers in everyone's ear and we receive it. And then we come to church, we can't praise him. We come to church, we can't really receive deep. When it's time to make a difference, we say, I can't do that. And we're listening more to the voice of the enemy instead of rejoicing in the power of the blood. We need to rejoice in the power of the blood. We need to understand how deep and rich and full and free the forgiveness of God really is. It's free. Salvation is free. You can't pay the price. Only Jesus could pay the price. But it wasn't a half payment. How many are thankful today? It's a full payment. Hallelujah. You're like, yo, get a hold of yourself. No. Because I know the secret whispers of the devil. I know it. I know how he whispers in your heart. I know how he condemns you. What is the devil doing right now? He's telling Christians, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You're not this. You're not that. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. We've been purified. We are sanctified. We will be glorified, the Bible says. We need to wake up to the goodness of God. Hallelujah. Listen, I got to show you two more pictures. I find them kind of funny because this happens. Okay, look at this other picture. Everybody got a penalty for this one. They were all in the penalty box, right? And you know why I put this up in part? I put it up in part because sometimes even a church can go off. Sometimes the church can go off. My house shall be called the house of prayer. When people aren't praying, serving, loving, sharing the gospel, they're derailed. They're on the sidelines. Get back in the game. Get back in the game. Get back in making a powerful difference for Jesus. Everybody say, I am called. Say, I am Samuel. Yes, you are. 
You are Samuel. So here's what we really need to be looking like. Check this out. This is a guy about to get out of the penalty box. Watch this. Watch this. Whoa! Come on, anybody ready to get out? Ready, ready, ready. Whoa! He's rushing to get out. That's what I'm praying. I'm praying that everybody would be like today. Go get them for Jesus. So we need to know just one turn, one turn. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I messed up. Help me, Jesus. That's it. That's it. When we turn, he returns. And then here's what's powerful. When he returns, he really, really helps. He becomes Ebenezer, the stone of help. After God moved, he put this rock up and he said, Ebenezer, our God is the stone of help. How many know Jesus wants to be the rock of help to his people? Jesus wants to be our Ebenezer, the stone of help, the one who helps us. When we turn to God, when we repent and we turn to God, guess what happens? He becomes our champion again. When we were singing, you are my champion, I was just overwhelmed. Is Jesus your champion today? They said, watch this, after 20 years of being backslidden, after 20 years of complacency, after 20 years of carelessness, they just turn and they get right. And look what, they, they poured out the water, they sacrificed. They said, Samuel, come on, cry out to God. We're going to fight, but cry out to God. We need the intervention of God. And then God steps in in power. God starts to thunder against his enemies. How many know Jesus wants to thunder against your enemies? He wants to Rattle them to the core. Because all of a sudden when we turn, then God moves. The Bible says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer. If you read this whole passage, it says that God thundered and put them in a panic. How many know that God wants to thunder? I've I've been praying, God, thunder in somebody's house. Thunder and chase the devil out so that families could be healed and restored. Thunder, God, and break strongholds of lies that are filled in people's minds so that they could walk in freedom. Thunder so that people could be broken from addictions. How many know the thunder of God can break any addiction? Thunder by your mighty power. Thunder, Lord Jesus. Thunder and restore people to the fullness. You know, we notice that even though a thunder is loud, it's unseen. You notice that? You ever see a thunder? That's the way the Holy Spirit is. You don't see him, but you really can feel him. When you invite in the Holy Spirit, he can thunder and he can set the captive free. I was like, Lord, Let today be one of those days. Let today be a day of the Spirit. Give people the courage today. Cicero, 
give people the, the faith today to say, Jesus, your blood and your sacrifice is strong enough to free me permanently. I don't have to talk about the past anymore. I don't have to think about the past anymore. I can walk in the freedom that is found in being washed by, by the blood of God. But notice, here's the last thing as we go to take communion. He did say, turn. Turn away from your idols. When we go to take communion in a few moments, some of us, we have idols. What is an idol? An idol is something or someone that you put ahead of Jesus. It could be money. It could be a hobby. It could be pride. It could be self. It could be a million different things. And you know because the Holy Spirit tells you. Put away your idols. Today is a day to repent. Today is a day to say, you know what, I'm not going to live my own way. I'm not going to live in adultery. I'm not going to live with my boyfriend. I'm not going to live however I want to live. I'm not going to live in a lie. I'm not going to align with people that, that hate. I'm not going to align with any of those things. Today I want to turn towards Jesus. When we turn, he returns. And when he returns, he helps. God wants to help people today. So we're going to get ready. I want you to start preparing your heart to receive communion. I want you to um, say, Lord, two things. Number one, have I been living in the past? Have I been living in such a way that even after you forgive me, I act like you haven't forgive me, forgiven me. Today is the day to repent of that. You can't walk away from communion and the same argument of yesterday be there. Everybody say, no more penalty box. Today we're, we're charging out, right? The other thing though is, yes, maybe there's secret sin. Maybe you've got things going on that you know are displeasing to God. Today's the day to repent. Today's the day to turn. That means that when you get out of here, you might make a phone call. It means that when you get out of here, you might have to take something back. You know, when we were kids, my, my brother stole a, a hoop from the school across the street. My dad used to go to, go to work at five in the morning. And we knew all the janitors at the school. So at 5 in the morning, my brother had to walk back with that. With that. I'm glad I'm telling a story about him and not me. And uh, so he had to walk back. And, you know, he couldn't give it to the principal, couldn't give it to the gym teacher, but he did have to give it to the janitor. So this is not mine. So maybe there's some things you got to put back today. That's part of repentance. You understand? But while you're doing that, remember, they poured out water like a libation. And they were saying, we pour out our hearts. And Lord, we believe that the water of the Spirit, the blood, will cleanse us. Anybody believe in the cleansing power of Jesus here? Could we, before we take communion, could we put our hands together and say, yes.